Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? <coughs> oh, it's so early. Yeah, it's it's really early. It's early. I I've never seen you use your phone so early. I don't mm. think. Well, are you are you sick? I I am sick. Oh God! I have a kind of sickness that is um, that is a drug sickness. Hmm. I am on my third day of caffeine withdrawal. Oh my God! And you're the real hero. <laughs> and I, oh, 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 oh no! I woke up at seven in the morning with shivers, and I feel like I was in a car wreck. I feel like I, I feel like I rolled a car. <laughs> That's every every muscle and joint in my body is like really, really protesting. Oh my goodness! So this is. Are you sure you're up for this? Oh yeah! Oh my God! You know I like to I like to get into the center of the pain mm-hmm. and explore all the. I am I am the uh, I am the the seven blind men describing an elephant of pain. <laughs> um. Wow. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you quit caffeine? Just cold turkey. Uh, well. Um. Oh my gosh! I have um, I've tried to cut down, but I've ne- I, I, it's been a while since I've just said I'm not going to have any caffeine at all this morning. Yeah, and I it's uh, I've done it in the past, and it's really hard and a, a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you feeling any psychological effects? Oh yes. Oh, very irritated. <laughs> Uh, I am very irritated. <laughs> it's the thing is, it's uh, I, I, it's so well um, documented, I guess. But there are all kinds of effects. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> to begin with caffeine. To begin with, even on the best day, is a balance. Even when you go pro, yeah, you yeah. still got You have good days and bad days. And what's what's funny to me about caffeine is um, the like the effects of having too much coffee can be kind of similar to the effects of having no coffee, but uh-huh. minus the energy, mm-hmm. like irritability, a little, little bit, a little bit of a headache. Yeah. 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 Well, a little, little bit, <laughs> you know, I'm a caffeine ranger and I, I use caffeine to explore all the universes <laughs> and I, um, I have quit it a few times over the years and I, and I know what's in store, you know, when I say like, okay, like I've got, I've, I've, I've been to the edge and I, I've stood and looked down and I need to cut it. I need to cut it out. And I, I, I know I'm looking forward to like a solid three days of gutting it out. And each day has its phases. Um, and the, you would, you would think that by the third day it would be tapering off, but really the third day is the, is the toughest one for me. And then on day four, like you, you, you walk out into the clear, like you're right. You're out into the day again, but but I don't know whether it's my age or whether I was using, <clears throat> I was using a well over the prescribed dosages of of caffeine for a long time. But I, <laughs> I really woke up this morning 
in a title match with uh, <laughs> with my nerve endings. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm laughing, but I'm so sorry. I, I I know what you're talking about. I mean, there's a reason that Excedrin puts caffeine in with mm. the aspirin, and that that's what they recommend when you got a migraine. Because I think it, I don't know if it's your capillaries or whatever, but it it it, it definitely can help you get rid of a headache. And if yep. you don't have it, those little fellas just close right up. Yeah, yeah. Woo. So um, can we yeah. explore this a little bit? You pulled up your three-legged stool. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> you're sitting in the center of it. <laughs> All the lights are on. Oh, uh, well. So this caffeine um, withdrawal is a part. It's a component of a larger project, a larger three-day project, <laughs> which is that I am on a juice fast. <laughs> I'm sorry. A thin, uh-huh. a, thin, a thin which I find ridiculous on its face. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Have you been reading Family Circle? No. Women's have, Day? What did you I learn have, about that? Is it, are you doing the lemon? Is this the lemon juice where you poop a lot? I have no idea why I'm doing it or what <laughs> the point of it is. But it was suggested to me and I said, oh, sure, I'll, I can do a three-day juice fast. What's I love juice. Well, let's, I mean, let's just let's start out with an obvious one. You, you're working on your body. You're doing some body work, mm-hmm. and and you enjoy a challenge. That's right. I you're not, you're not against juice. No, I I, I I was reading it. I was reading in Martha Stewart's Living about all the healthy juices that you can make from your from your orchards, and uh, I I own a juicer mm-hmm. because at one point uh, the Long Winters did did some uh, some extensive touring with the the band Keen, and they always had a juicer in their backstage area and we would get we would get off of these like long brutal drives across Europe and we would roll into these stadium shows and there would be this juicer waiting as soon as we got out of the van and we would make these complex juices with ginger and lemon and we just felt like superstars and so when I got d- done with that tour I was like I'm going to get a juicer that's how uh, that's how a, a man lives if you are a, if you're a real like operator, mm-hmm. if, if you're a guy that is that knows how to tie a tie, you should have a juicer at your house. It makes you feel vital. It, it just fills you with nutrients. It fills you with nutrients. Well, mm-hmm. or it fills you with sugar water. I mean, mm-hmm. I what I can't figure out about juice is like so. I'm making these juices, and they are very complicated. I went to the store. I bought all this spinach and kale and and. And carrots and uh, mm. ginger and um, you know garlic and basil and all this stuff. Oh boy! And, oh, beets, beet greens. Can't believe you missed the coffee at all. That sounds wonderful. Well, and I'm so I'm throwing it all into <laughs> the juicer. garlic ginger juice to kick off the day. <laughs> well, you kick off the day with some hot lemon water. Mmm. Mm. Oh. That'll that'll get the pipes moving. Mmm. Mm. And. Uh, and I'm, but but I'm throwing this stuff into the juicer, and I'm watching all the actual food just get shunted off into the garbage bag. And what's left is this concentrated, like purple sugar water, basically. And yeah, I don't, I, it's I don't like know it's like Bill. That... It's like bills you put in. I mean, if you want to make spinach juice, it takes an extraordinary amount of spinach. To make a tiny little, you know, you know, when you cook spinach, it just all kind of disappears. But when you right. juice it, I mean, d- doesn't it take like like a whole giant basket to make like a half a cup? Yeah, I put in a, the equivalent of what uh, of a mastiff into the, 
into the juicer. Like it's a, a, a mastiff, mastiff of spinach. A mastiff of spinach. And uh, and yeah, and it produces like two two ounces of wheatgrass juice. <laughs> That's like six bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, oh, okay. I mean, I guess that I'm getting some, but 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 I'm really not getting much out of it. I mean, it's I'm probably it's probably what six hundred calories a day of of uh, juice. Just because I think part of the part of the juice fast. Part of why it works is that it's so fucking complicated to make the juice mm-hmm. and clean the juicer that Ugh. you don't want to do it more than a couple of times a day, and so you're basically just you're just starving yourself and taking some sugar water in the interim. You're not going to believe the timing on this, and you're you're not going to believe how simpatico it makes me because uh, you know you, you texted me this morning, and I was like, obviously someone attacked John's account because he's, he's using his phone at something like eight in the morning, and uh, I was I was sleeping in a little bit. And I had recently been awakened by a uh, horrific, almost medieval grinding sound coming from our kitchen. Uh oh! Because my uh, my family had decided to make some juices this morning. Wow! It's real, real loud. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very loud. The machine is a it's a plant killer. <laughs> it is. It takes them right out. It's a phyto killer. I and uh, and anyway, the point being that then my the um, the one two punch was then my daughter came in with a small glass of like a caramel colored liquid and she goes drink this and i was like i heard the noise i'm not drinking that she's like no drink it it's really good and she had a little her her one of her little straws in it mm-hmm. and it was so gross it was, was it? there was well i think it was primary it was there was some spinach and there was some carrots and uh but it really really tasted like celery oh that's right they they say celery is the juice ruiner Oh, is that right? That's good. That's a hack. Yeah, you put you put celery in any juice, and it just ruins it because it makes it taste like celery. It's like cilantro. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm feeling it for you. I I, I uh, and I said really. I said Eleanor, that's terrible. That's an awful thing to put in my mouth while I'm still laying in bed. Don't spill it on the bed. It's brown. <laughs> and uh, so so um, what? I mean, okay. Ser- seriously though, what what led you? Did you you just decided was this just a fun project, or you said yeah. like? Yeah, it's just a fun project. Yeah, there's no, uh, you know, I the, the well when I think back to the the time that I decided I was going to stop eating wheat and sugar, I honestly even a day later could not remember what I was, what was motivating me. You know, like I don't remember the idea that came into my head, and I usually remember my motivations, but looking back, I was like, I don't remember why I decided to do this. What am what is going on with me? And it's the same with this juice fast. I, I cannot, I cannot tell you how the idea got lodged in my brain. I think I read something on an, on an airplane. I think it was. I think There's I read something. So in, many terrible projects start reading <laughs> by reading on an airplane. I think I was reading in the, the in-flight magazine, hmm. and then I was reading, and then there was something snarky in the New Yorker, and it just got this idea going like juices, huh? Juices. Maybe New York Magazine had an article about a guy who was running a gym that also was a juicer. And it just got in there. Just the worm got in there. And all of a sudden, here I am, three days into a juice fast. And every every joint in my body is aching. And what I want is... I mean, name a food. I want it. Yeah. But what I have available to me is like beet juice, basically. 
it's, it seems like one of those things that they would do like in, um, I don't know, like in the maze in Ireland, like that some kind of a, a prison thing, like, like when they give you the, the punishment loaf, uh-huh. like they would put you on a juice diet. Cause I would just, I would, I have to be honest with you. First of all, I just want to say I applaud you and I, this sounds like it could be really good for you, but I would find it so hard to look forward to anything in life if I knew it was going to be a day filled with juice. Well, and this is the thing when you, when you, when you stop eating food, you realize how many of your projects, how many of the reasons that you're going out, how many of the, how many of the things that the like pylons that demarcate the obstacle course of your day are just food mm-hmm. it's like what do you want to do i don't know let's go downtown well what should we do well let's go to that restaurant well uh, we're not eating food we're eating i'm drinking juice right now i'm sorry to say oh well we could go to that smoothie place yeah but those are smoothies they're not juice really like already right. i'm already you're the most boring person alive hey, well, and, it's like it was bad enough when you when you couldn't have french fries or something but now yeah. i mean it, it, it's i was gonna say it's like being on a salad dressing diet but it's, it's not <laughs> it's not even it's not even I, I i could see myself waking up in the morning and go you know a nice cup of like a, a couple shots of thousand island could get me going yeah but but it's a it's a lot of work it's and it's it's pretty costly too i think it, it is costly. It? well so i so the other night uh, two days into my juice fast the presidents of the United States of America played their annual President's Day concert here in Seattle. And I got up with them and sang sang a song. I sing a song on their new record with them. And so I got up and sang a song. And then they, uh, then they launched into New Girl. Whoa. So uh, we, we get done singing the song like, yay, that was great. And then they just like launch into New Girl. And they're all like, go, go, do it, do it, sing it, sing it. And so we sang New Girl. In front of their sold-out crowd, which was super fun. Uh, and then we get off the stage, and we're hanging out backstage, and I'm like, oh, man, I, th- that was really amazing, but I'm a little bit freaked, or I'm a little bit tweaking right now, because I'm, I'm on a juice fast. What do you think of that, guys? And uh, Chris Ballou uh, uh, has a very complicated theory about food, and he was like, well, you know, actually, juice is garbage food. Because it was, you know, most of those uh, most of those foods were developed by by uh, human intervention, and we've we've robbed all of our foods of their nutrients over the course of of millennia. Is he is he merely a conspiracy theorist, or does he try to he he's a knowledgeable eating well guy? Uh, Chris is both things. He hmm. is extremely knowledgeable, and uh, you know, and also like he uh, he. He he goes on um, he goes on intellectual journeys where he discovers a new thing and then it becomes kind of a uh, like it's then central to his his way of thinking. For he becomes the time. like a like a nutrition buff. Yeah, he, he he's read some interesting books and now he's really interested in the in the topic. But then Jason Finn sitting uh, you're and my good friend Jason Finn sit, <laughs> sitting on the couch says, "Yeah, well, you know, I I've done uh, seven day." Master cleanse, which is that's seven, the best it, the pooping one. Yeah, seven days of lemon and like uh, cayenne pepper. Le- I think it's just lemon and and molasses, <laughs> maybe <laughs> in hot water or not. No, he said not hot water, room temperature water. <laughs> and I'm like seven days of, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. By the fourth day, you're really you're you're really seeing. You're seeing dragons, you know, <laughs> and you're, and 
Yeah, and he, you know, he talked about the poop for a little while. And uh, I, I was, I mean, certainly I was impressed that my three-day juice fast got one-upped so hard. I was, I was, that was the first time I'd even gone out in public. And I already just got smacked down. Like, yeah, oh, that's- it's like you didn't even you didn't even get the high five for like yeah. John Roderick being on a juice fast. Oh, three day juice fast. That's cute. You should try a seven day master cleanse where you just drink lemon water. Uh, so it was uh, it was a little bit like I went home tail between my legs, but I stuck with my juice fast. I didn't go home and start drinking lemon water and molasses, and I didn't have a hamburger either. So here it is, day three, and I've got this glass here that is full of juice and it's it's really it's it's bright red it's the color of cow's blood Mm. it's like i'm drinking a glass of cow's blood well you know the thing about a nutty system is that sometimes you just kind of stick with the nutty system yes thank you hello that's it's not you know i mean the thing is if you overthink it i mean with any kind of diet or anything like that i think the the way to, if by succeed, we mean make it through for the amount of time that we say we're going to do it. And hopefully that's sane. I mean, you're not going to do this for a month, probably. But if you said <clears throat> you're going to do this for five days, seven days, something like that, then I think you got to, it helps me anyway to get to a place where I'm not thinking about it too much. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm doing what I got to do, but to make it sustainable, even for more than two or three days, even for more than a day, <clears throat> you have to get to some place where it's just kind of routine. And you're like, well, this is the thing I'm doing. I don't, right. I don't know if it makes sense. You know, Jason Finn has, has given me some things to think about, uh-huh. but but I, I'm going to just stick with this and do this thing, and then maybe no, maybe another time I'll do the uh, lemon diet. Well, that's exactly right. And what's amazing about this is that the side effects. So usually, when I quit caffeine, it is uh, that I get super sick. Like that's how I quit. Really, honestly, that's, that's your how body's I quit. response to a lot of things. I think. That's how I quit drinking and drugs. <laughs> it's how I quit smoking cigarettes. Uh, it's how I like end most of my relationships. I get really sick. <laughs> And I just go off into a corner to die, and then when I, when I come back, I'm phoenix rising from the ashes. I was going to say it's like your body has to burn itself down so it can rise from its own ashes. That's right. And so what this what's happening right now is this this caffeine withdrawal is just a a byproduct of it. But but honestly, the first thing I thought about when somebody said three day juice fast, I was like, ooh, that would be a tough caffeine burn. You, I mean. Whatever else was going on, no matter how hungry you were, <laughs> your your knees would hurt, your fingernails would hurt. But when it's over, then I'm then I have accomplished this what is actually a pretty daunting task, which is this caffeine withdrawal. And then I'm gonna like try and stay off of the coffee, which is actually a better way to live. It really is. When I'm not <laughs> when I don't drink the coffee, I am, you know, you're you're living in the light. So, so if you're going to go through all this, I'm just I'm sorry to repeat what you're saying, but just so I understand, you're you're going to try and stick with this for a while. The juice thing is a temporary thing. You'll enjoy you'll enjoy your mini blood red juices for a while. You get through it, but you're thinking you'll probably having gone through this dark night of the soul with coffee, you're going to try and just stay off it after this. Yeah, I think so for a while at least for a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't like. Dependency. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the, the overarching theme of my life. I cannot abide dependence, and I am dependent on caffeine, and well, it makes me uncomfortable. I think, uh, arguably, I don't know. In my cultures, uh, I think that, like historically, um, 
like smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, it's more than something that everybody does. It's kind of like almost like a default. Like mm. you describe with food, like, what do you want to do? Well, let's get something to eat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's kind of like just the thing that you do. And if you don't know what to do, you have a cup of coffee or you smoke a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And you don't notice how often that becomes the default. Now, I'm not trying to say one way or another, good, bad, or otherwise. But, you know, with coffee, you don't notice it. I mean, once it's gone, you really notice how often you had that little hankering. And then just knowing you can't have it makes it so much worse and weird to where if I'm trying to stop something like along the lines of a coffee, which I'll do sometimes, <clears throat> or even if I'm trying to cut down, but no, but especially if I'm stopping, I'll, I will want coffee more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. And I would even want coffee before I would want coffee. Uh-huh. Like the idea of waking up and going like, oh, this is my first day without coffee. That's all I'm going to think about. Right. You know, or, or I remember, especially when I was doing the, you know, the Atkins diet, like I never wanted French fries so much in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go like, I'd go to a place and I'd get this giant and and really honestly, physiologically, completely satisfying, like big bacon burger with no bun with lettuce. I mean, that's all the food a person needs, but without, it's like you and me talking about like, yeah, how can you have a steak without noodles? It just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you not have noodles with your steak? It's just a thing you should do as a gentleman. But like, and when you know you can't have that it's it's so strange how your brain at least my brain can, can cook up this this uh um, i guess anxiety or or kind of like unease about about the possibility that i can't have that it makes me feel very scared oh it's a profound anxiety and this is the this is the this is the number one mind game of quitting all drugs is that the the it isn't really the physical addiction that defeats you it is the it's that anxiousness that comes into your mind that says i'm never gonna have another french fry i can't live like this right and, and like, and like you, what would you do with your time right if you spend if you spend a third or half your day drinking and then right. you don't like how, what do you do to fill that time do you, you just do suddenly go and start volunteering i mean it's yeah. it, it's a lot of time to fill well and you uh, and you can only i had a conversation last night uh with a guy a, a middle-aged guy let's say kind of like this one I don't like this conversation. Um, well, I should preface this by saying that I went to see Miley Cyrus last night. Was she performing? Yes. I went to see a Miley Cyrus concert last night at the Tacoma Dome. Because <clears throat> I got an email from a friend of mine who is working at a sort of a high level in her production. And he said, you'll never guess what I'm doing now. I'm doing you know, X for the production of this Miley Cyrus concert. Do you want to come? And I said, yes, I will come and see this Miley Cyrus concert. Uh, Because I I think mainly because everything that I had, every, uh, every little post-it note in my head that I had about Miley Cyrus was negative. Like, I don't think I like Miley Cyrus. Just, just as a thing. I didn't like H- Hannah Montana. You didn't like that at all? You didn't think it was catchy? I don't... Well, I didn't know anything about it. But just some it, catchy <clears throat> tunes. I just instinctively didn't like it. Because when I go into thrift stores, I see these little plastic guitars that have Hannah Montana stickers on them. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's garbage. And I don't think I liked Billy Ray Cyrus, although I don't know what that sounds like either. But I don't like what it represents even though I don't really know what it represents. I just don't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't like his haircut. I didn't like uh, that brand of what I think is that brand of country music. 
People kept using that phrase boot scoot and it made me uncomfortable. <clears throat> I don't like that boot scoot. I don't, don't want to like, hear that. No. And uh, so Hannah Montana, Disney creation, just kind of, you know, and it's not like I hate it. I just don't like it. I don't know anything about it. I don't like it. I'm in the same boat. The, the evidence mounts that, like, I'm not seeking out information about this enterprise, but every new, as you say, post-it note of information about this is, is not making me feel positive about this. And that accumulates. Right, it does. It accumulates, and then, uh, then oh, uh, Miley Cyrus is reinventing herself. Now she's a bad girl. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that the Disney girl is now reinventing herself as a bad girl. I just don't. That's I don't care about it, but I don't. I don't. It, I just don't like it. And then that performance where she twerked at the. Oh, I this don't know. is where she she did her little dance with the finger. Yeah, she had, like something. a big foam finger and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and she was with the the. The um, Blurred yeah. Lines guy. Yes. I didn't even see it. I just saw it talked about in the in the uh, the chattering culture. It was, it was very uncomfortable to watch. <clears throat> but I didn't like it. I didn't like the conversation about it. I didn't like the pictures that I saw of it. It made me uncomfortable. So going into all of that, this friend of mine is like, you're not going to believe what I'm doing right now. I'm working on the Miley Cyrus tour. And I said, I will go to this. And he said, great, you got two passes. See you at the show. And so I spent the afternoon trying to get somebody to go with me to the show. And I asked a handful of friends that are usually game if I want to go see Michael Schenker or if I want to go see a monster truck rally, or if I want to go to a, you know, a motocross race and all of my like go-to show buddies were like, what? No way. And I'm like, no, it'll be fun. It'll be funny. We'll go see my Miley Cyrus. It'll be like hilarious. And they were like, no, actually, absolutely not. And there was a different kind of pushback. Like, no, I draw the line here. There's nothing funny about this. And it was this <laughs> like like you're going to a clan rally or something. Yeah, right. Like there was and 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 it increased my perception that there was this negative this kind of knee-jerk negative uh feeling about her, this take on her that everybody has that increased my desire to go so that it, it was a stormy night last night there was a there were a lot of reasons why it's a you know 45 miles to tacoma a lot of reasons why i normally would have said yeah i'm not i'm just not gonna do this but i was like no you know what i'm gonna go see this miley cyrus concert because now i'm suspicious i'm suspicious of my own bias against this person because i'm seeing it reflected in all these other people and I'm, and I'm realizing, like, I don't know anything about Miley Cyrus. Why do I feel so strongly that this, that this girl who sticks her tongue out is, like, this thing that isn't just bad. It's, like, it's like uh, a despicable. Yeah, like cultural anathema. Yeah, right. So I get in my car, and I drive down there, and I, and I park, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the show, and it's just sheets of rain. And all around me on the streets are girls dressed very provocatively and they are all 
I mean, I was expecting it to be a bunch of 10-year-olds and, you know, like Hannah Montana, 10-year-old type of thing. And and some and some preteens or whatever. But everybody is 20. Everywhere I looked, everyone is 20 years old. And they're all dressed like pretty sexy. But but it's a, it's a rainstorm, a cold rainstorm. So there's a lot of shrieking and sort of high heel running to get to the venue. Everybody's covering their hair with their plastic bags. And I'm walking up, I'm in my I'm I'm <laughs> well protected in my raincoat and dad hat. And I'm like, I am really I'm really wrong here. Like uh, this is going to be weird and wrong. But I did. I made no attempt to look cool. I was just like, to be clear, clear that you you were by yourself. By I was yourself. by myself. Okay, I was by myself. And actually, I was carrying a walking stick that had some bells on it. <laughs> uh, At first, I was worried about that Yeti in the hat, but then I noticed he had a jolly little walking stick. Yeah. And then he rattled his jingle stick at me, and I feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> so I get into the venue and I walk in just as she takes the stage. And there's a giant, you know, 10 story tall picture of Miley Cyrus and the mouth opens on the picture somehow. The like the the jaw opens in a kind of almost Monty Python right way. And a giant tongue unfurls out of the mouth and reveals itself to be a slide. And then Miley Cyrus appears in her own mouth, <laughs> waves to the crowd, and then slides down her own giant tongue <laughs> to the stage. And I'm, I'm standing, I, you know, I, I'm standing there in a wet raincoat, watching this, and and thinking, okay, what the fuck is this? Like that is a that's kind of a bad trip almost like that's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy trip. If I were, if this were 20 years ago and, and I took my usual regimen of pre-concert hallucinogens, I would be really freaking out right now. That's a heavy image, a lot, a lot for the mind to, to take in. And she starts walking around the stage and I go looking for my, looking for my seat and I realize I'm in a stadium and both the average age and the mean age is 20. <laughs> There's no variation. There's no one, I mean, that I can see. No one that is 30 and no one that is 15. It's like I've never, I, I, can't, I can't think of a time that I've ever been in a room with, with uh, eight to 10,000 20-year-old girls. And they are, uh, you know, really like digging the show. And so I, I so I, I get to my seat, and it turns out I'm I have a front row seat. You have reserved seating. Well, yeah, the my oh, because she comped you a, a really good seat. Yeah, my friend is just like, yeah, here, here's your tickets, and it's like I'm front row of the <laughs> of the seating. Do you have a beard right now? I do have a beard, <laughs> and I I have sort of wet, uncut hair. <laughs> I was wearing my Kim Jong Il glasses, 
So my, you know, my like North Korean functionary glasses. And then every other aspect of my attire was like basically stern dad. They made me check my jingle stick. (laughs) Uh, And I watched this entire show in utter amazement at how, I mean, because my, my first instinct Every new thing that came out, every new set piece, every like thing she was pushing, my first instinct was, oh, my God, no. And then in the course of the tune, it was revealed that, in fact, uh, Miley Cyrus is completely in control of, the, of every aspect of her presentation in her career. She is like overwhelmingly positive everybody in the place is having an overwhelmingly positive time and the the takeaway from the show was like this was the most um like in, culturally interesting and and dare i say it empowering kind of show of its type that I could ever remember seeing. I don't think there was ever a Madonna concert that that was this casually empowering. You know, uh, it was extraordinary. And I came out of there just, I mean, really, like not not just with a whole new impression of what Miley Cyrus is and rep- represents, but like a real pushback on my own cultural instincts. Now, hmm. like to to. And I think I feel I feel like the entire culture is the kind of lined up to dismiss her, and as a result, she has this she has this real credibility with twenty year old girls. Mm-hmm. She is a twenty year old girl, and she has a she has a direct line to them, and is talking to them directly, and they are responding to her directly, and there's no no one else is allowed in. Almost, you know, her, her show is too dirty for teens. So like the Katy Perry show makes sure not to be too scary because she's trying to get all the 10 year olds. It's, it's, it's very, it's saucy, but it doesn't inhabit that level of like uh bacchanalian spectacle. Right. Exactly. It sounds, it sounds like, a, like a, like a spectacle. It's an absolute spectacle. And like there are, there are just way more vaginas in a Miley Cyrus show than you are going to see in a normal p- presentation. Um, hmm. But they, but it's not. That was that's like elements of set design or just stage, yeah, stagecraft. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just like I mean, the, the Beastie Boys come out with the giant set of inflatable boobs, or Mick Jagger's bouncing around on a huge blow-up microphone, and Miley Cyrus effectively has. I mean, there are a lot of blow-up animals in her show and some of them are i mean some of the visuals were fully into the realm of this is the this is trippy trippy shit that is um that i could i kept coming back to like if i had taken some mushrooms before this show i would be weeping lot to process with no coffee well, a lot to process with with no coffee, and also <clears throat> this like cultural mash of Japanese anime, punk rock, metal, 
rap uh, country and YouTube culture, Photoshop like culture. Bur- bur- burlesque kind of uh, sex worker stuff too, though, right? Total, total pole dancing scene all the time. Like every, every physical gesture is derived either from pole dancing, twerking, <laughs> or, uh, I mean, but like a 21-year-old's sense of what sex is and i mean and i would have walked into that like a a modern 21 year old's idea right if you if you had put a microphone in front of me as i'm walking in if there had been a reporter that was like you there with the jingle stick come here what are you going into the miley cyrus show you know what do do you think she's sexy i would have said a 21 year old girl is not sexy she's skinny and she doesn't know like what she doesn't know how to have sex she's a she's a she's a child but coming out of that show, I'm like, oh, 21-year-olds know how to have sex. What was I thinking? 21-year-olds, I mean, they don't, uh, maybe they aren't, like, all experts at it, but they're not, she's not a child. She's 21, you know. she's She is um, a lot older than Mia Farrow was when she married Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, coming so coming away from it, but the, but 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 my mind was trying to process this torrent of images that was a complete like well, basically, if you'll allow me, a fruit juice hmm. of all of basically everything the culture has produced. You know, African drumming. Uh, uh, snuff videos, Wendy O. Williams, uh, you know, like, and it's all happening like boom, 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 boom. And I don't think everybody in the audience knows what every reference is to, but in a way they do, in a way they're much more attuned to this, this, this torrent of micro image. And they're, and they're more more comfortable with that like a barrage of iconography knowing that it is iconography yeah very comfortable with it not you know they are not sitting there like borderline grand mall seizure like like i was but also i don't and this is maybe part part of what's interesting about it to me like they aren't trying to parse every image and part of what is making it overwhelming to me is i'm like whoa and i'm like i'm looking at every image and i'm i'm it's igniting this part of my brain that has a cultural association with it so i'm like what oh hey whoa what is that doing there jerk and (laughs) they're not doing that they're just taking it in as a from a place of like pure sensation and 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 honestly unmitigated joy so the whole the whole event was like uh completely unironic no irony about it at all there was no cynicism to it and so the net result was total positivity and looking around the room at the eight to ten thousand 20 year old girls all dressed like sex workers you realize that they are not dressing like that for the male gaze because there are no men here Mm -hmm. they're dressing like this for one another for their own pleasure and 
uh, in homage to Miley, and she's dressing like that for them. And and the the other amazing thing was not a single person ever looked at me like I was a creep. Like every single person, every single girl that made eye contact with me, which was hundreds and hundreds of them, they were they all smiled and were like, "Hi." Or excuse me, or you know, like everyone was was polite, and I and I I never for a moment had that feeling of like, oh my god, what are you doing here? Like there, that that was absent from the from the place. Hmm. No booze, no like no Satan worship. I mean, it was. I mean, unless it's a very complex and subtle Satan worship that. <laughs> that everybody has read everybody read a pamphlet before they went in explaining that this was all in service of satan but i i didn't see it i saw just uh, you know kind of joy miley cyrus's joy at being 21 years old rich and able to just do whatever she wants i haven't been to many things like that in my life there were <clears throat> there were much clearer polls to almost everything that I've ever gone to that were about some kind of differentiation or, you know, it, certainly punk rock shows, but I'm, maybe Flaming Lips. Mm. I'm trying to think of, you know, like when they were mm-hmm. first getting into their, uh, the spectacles that they would put on, very positive and, you know, freak friendly kind of stuff. But mm. this, uh, I, I'm glad you went. It sounds like this was a good experience for you. It was, and I'm still, I'm still chewing on it, you know, and I, and I did not live tweet it. As I was walking in, I was like, I'm going to live tweet the shit out of this Miley Cyrus concert. And it's going to be really hilarious on Twitter. <laughs> and I got in and immediately it was like, this is so over my head that to live tweet it would be to do it and myself a disservice. Like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be out of this experience. I'm going to just be rooted in this experience and um, try and like, Figure out where it's coming from. Because when I was that age, when I was her age or her fan's age, I was at Scorpions concerts and punk rock shows. And we were all dressed for one another, too, in denim and leather. And but the average age there was no average age at a scorpions concert. It was I mean, you might you might see burnouts in their fifties and kids who snuck in that are way too young to be there. Sure. And it was mostly dudes, uh, or, or almost entirely dudes, but, but, uh, the whole age range and what the Scorpions represented, what their message was. I mean, I was, I was forced to ask myself last night, what was the Scorpions message? Well, and they just essentially wanted to know if you were ready to rock and roll. I think that's right. Yeah. They basically, and we were, we were ready. I was ready. I was ready to rock and roll. Look at me. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I was going to shows all the time then, and they were profoundly important to me. And I'm not, and, and they were a lot less, there, there was a lot less sensory experience than there was last night at the Miley Cyrus concert. Um, but, but then, of course, you know, I'm reflecting like on the fact that my own daughter is not even a member of this generation at all. These people, Miley Cyrus is going to be a mature and legendary artist by the time 
my my daughter is going to her first concerts. Like Miley Cyrus will at that point be twenty five years into her career, and right. so so this experience does not even give me a, a toehold on understanding what the culture is going to be like, and and the degree to which I'm going to need to be at least capable of experiencing and understanding the culture 15 years from now. You're, you're making me think of something um, that is probably useful for me to think about. You know, we, we talked a lot and you've especially talked a lot about this whole, the authenticity problem and how, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about it plenty, right? I mean, this yeah. whole thing of like, especially in rock and roll, there's all this concern about, you know, who's truly authentic who has more authenticity who can you know display that i mean who's closer to the blues who's more rock and roll um and it's funny because i'm this is kind of a big thought but um you think about you think about excuse me think about what happened in like a post dylan post uh beatles era and even if you were not doing your own songs there was still a primacy to creator to like artist created rock and roll. It was the idea that like, I'm not up here mouthing something that some Tim Pan Alley guy did, unless I'm doing that for some kind of an ironic point. Like I'm here because I am the person who made this show. I'm the person who made this song. This is about my life. And even if it's not really about my life, it's it still is it works in the service of a certain kind of authenticity. Then in some ways goes straight back to Dylan. I think that's, that's been, I think it's one, I guess what I'm trying to say is in brief is that one reason a lot of stuff like this is so confusing and weird to people like me and presumably you is it it's it's a this really is generationally one of the first really one of the first major generational changes in popular music in, in quite a while i mean even up through indie rock indie rock is still heavily even today is still so heavily rooted in that singer songwriter tradition absolutely and the fact that i'm up here and i may be playing the drums on somebody's motorcycle helmet but that's authentic because we made this you know i'm, I'm not i don't want to put too fine a point on it but i, I don't think that the way that you and I have historically looked at that, the way that our generation looked at that, I don't think that matters to people today. And that's not a judgment at all. That's just an observation. I think this is, this is, um, it's, it really is its own thing. She has put this team together that, or somebody put a team together for her that is really brilliantly leveraging the way things have changed in, in music and culture. So like, you know, we've talked so much before again about like you work, you put all this money into making an album. You talked about this when you're on Mike Hurley's show. You put all this money into like making an album and put it out. It used to be you could, you know, if you're Steve Miller, you could ride on that for a year or two, right? Or if yeah. you were, uh, you know, the Eagles or anybody, you could get four singles off an album and tour off it for a year or two. Like you put out two albums and tour for two years. Yeah. And now today, like people want this constant dribble of culture that is not facilitated by putting a hundred thousand dollars into an album, putting it out and then sitting around and waiting for the checks to arrive. So it's a big, it's a big issue, but like, it seems like there are people today that are much more comfortable with going like, Hey, I'm putting out a a, a pop culture product and that doesn't make me a a worse person than you. I, 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 this is, this is a job that I do and people love this and I'm going to narrow cast this to these 20 year old girls who love this. And if you don't like it, that's okay, but that's not going to make me do this differently. And your concerns about my about my authenticity are gonna are gonna fall short of their target because that's not even what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm being me, and and me is this team of people and production designers and songwriters and musicians and lighting people that make this kind of product. You know, I'm not trying to make a quotidian, but do you know what I mean? I think that yeah. do, do, do you see that difference? Like, you know, it, it, when we, you saw so much pushback on the punk rock article, you see so much pushback on the whole like kind of authenticity thing. Like, you know, 
And, you know, all along, we've all been trying to find the product that, like, meets our needs. And it sounds like she's giving that to people here. Well, <clears throat> what was... That's a lot baff- of stuff. Sorry about that. No, no, no. That's, that, that's right in line with exactly, like, where my mind was going and where my mind is going trying to, trying to uh, process it for myself. Because also, authenticity is a huge is 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 a huge and maybe the singular uh like uh, criteria of hip-hop right like hip-hop's whole trip is is it real are you real and i mean i don't know enough about that culture to to critique it deeply but the 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 gangster and sort of authenticity trip that that just that, hard, like the heart the hardcore nature of this sure that yeah. that scene has been you know caught up in for almost its entire life i mean when you think about the original hip-hop it was so merry it was so pretty like fun it's like party music party music right and it was it was only so i mean it was only sort of run dmc's like tougher than leather vibe that started to establish that that eric b and rakim direction where it was like no 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 this is righteous and for a long time there were those two sides of hip-hop right the della soul over here that are intellectual but also fun and then nwa just pushed it in well, and public enemy really pushed it in this direction. Yeah, but I mean, like, let's let's remember there was a time when there were articles about the feud between Cool Mo D and MC Hammer uh-huh. about uh-huh. who was more real. Who's more real? I think I, mean, I think I think probably history will record that. In as much as that was a contest, I guess Cool Modi won. But who was more real than Hammer? Yeah, Hammer was a ball boy for the Oakland A's. Right. right. Like, come on, this right. guy was like as real as they come. It's just that he was wearing uh, uh, Sinbad pants. But you needed, but in, in all those cases with hip hop or anybody else, but I guess especially hip hop. No, really, with all of them. Like, it's important that 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 you that that, that be authentic so that you can be authentic. Right, exactly. you wouldn't want to follow somebody who's like a big poser. No, who's not? Who's a poser? But last night at the show, Miley, as part of the show, has a has a there's a middle section where she goes out to a little stage that's way at the back of the arena. So she's playing for the people in the cheap seats, and this is a little pop up stage that it wasn't evident to anyone was there. And she's putting on this enormous spectacle, and then all of a sudden she disappears. Uh, you know, uh, multiple times in the show, she disappears in a little elevator beneath the stage to change costumes. And there's, and in the meantime, there's a big video show that's in some ways like the craziest part of the show. But all of a sudden, she pops up at this little mini stage dressed in a total like glitz B boy outfit, like a uh, gl- glitter hat, glitter baseball hat, kind of turned to the side, giant sort of Justin Bieber t-shirt, except instead of Justin Bieber's face, it's Miley's face. She's so she's there, her own shirt. She's there with a giant picture of herself on her shirt. And like dressed in a costume that immediately, um, I, like, again, my instinct was, I don't like that. I don't like that costume. 
It looks like something the Fly Girls would wear on Living Color. And I don't like it. It's uh, it's appropriated from something that I, I didn't like the thing initially. And now I don't like the appropriation of it. But she gets out on this little stage in this outfit and does two covers. She does a down-tempo acoustic cover of Hey Ya hmm. that was... For the most part, like a very cool indie rock cover. If I if I had heard Tegan and Sarah do it, mm-hmm. or if I had heard Saint Vincent do this cover of Hey Ya, I would have been like, "That's great." That's a and, great, great sad song, and it was very sad tune. And frankly, watching Miley Cyrus, I had to say, "That's amazing! Like that's great." That. She is she's singing Hey Ya right now, and it's making me sad. And that's tremendous. I mean, she's doing it in an arena, and she's got a picture of herself on her shirt. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely moved. And then her second cover is a full-throated, just straight-ahead, honest cover of Jolene. <laughs> the Dolly Parton song? Yeah. Wow. Just at the top of her lungs, just Jolene, Jolene. And I'm like, that's fucking incredible. Like, that's a, that, is an, a, that is an amazing tune. And sung by someone who obviously has been singing it since she was a little kid. And there's no, there's no reference made. There's no wink in it. It's like sad country version of Hey Ya full-throated version of Jolene and then back to the stripper show. (laughs) And at no point does anyone stop for a millisecond and go see what we did there because it's because that element of it is gone. And that whole see what we did there impulse is still tied to this authenticity question that you or or, or problem that you pose there's no slideshow of poor kids in mississippi or vintage photos of dolly parton nope there's no there's no like we are putting country and hip-hop together we are putting we are doing these things because we are we are smarter than these things and we are able to manipulate these building blocks of culture and aren't we and and appreciate us for that as the you know, and that's the authenticity argument ultimately is like, I know I'm a white kid playing the blues, but I'm, but I'm, my acknowledgement of it, my recognition that I'm doing it is makes it forgivable, makes me, you know, you should admire me, not because, not just because of what I'm making, but also because of my intention, my self knowledge, my, mm-hmm. my purpose, my, you know all of all of these secondary questions that are that are threaded through the question of authenticity and there there wasn't any of that there's no there's n- you, you, or or if or if that's in there it's just now it permeates the culture to the degree that no one has to do it anymore we all know that we all know everything we all know that there's no difference between you know like the message of her show is uh, there's no difference between people and there's no difference between things. There's no like African drumming and Japanese imagery belong together 
because everything is possible all the time. So look what I made. And I can't find fault with it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so something I think about a lot, uh, I don't want to you know, drag this out. I, I think it's, it's, it is fascinating. And um, I, I'm glad you talked about it because it's, and I'm glad you went. Uh, one thing I think about a lot uh, when I'm watching a TV show or a movie that I think also applies a lot to pop music is, for example, if you're watching Doctor Who, you're watching Star Wars, you're watching any kind of a show, I, I think it's always interesting to watch for sort of like who we're supposed to sympathize with to the point where maybe better, like who we want to be in this thing. So like in Doctor Who, uh, a lot of people talk about Doctor Who usually has a companion, often a woman, somebody who's with them who's sometimes as little as just the, oh, Doctor, what's happening here? And it gives him a reason to explain it. But it could also be very an emotional connection that's just short of romantic a lot of the time. But there's something where like there's some character in this where you're supposed to see yourself right there the, you are you are the person on this journey i think this is probably true with lord of the rings in star wars maybe that's uh luke skywalker in episode mm-hmm. four but you know what i mean there's always there's somebody that you're supposed to sympathize Wait, with did you just say episode four yeah i know i'm sorry that's well, what it's officially what it's called now. come on you know it's officially called a new hope do you, do you this is a safe space here okay we, we you don't have to you don't have to like talk the cult language here it's this it's, it's not a cult anymore john star wars Star Wars is what it's called. You should it's called make some Star- juice. It's called Star Wars. <laughs> the, the, the Star Wars. It's called but the Star to me, Wars. this gets really interesting in pop music because, like, who am I supposed to? Obviously, you're there because you, by and large, you're there unless you really are at some gritty, you know, British punk rock show. You're there because you like that performer. You like what they do. You probably, you kind of want to be them. Sort of, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to be them or you want to be with them. Maybe you want to kiss them. But mm-hmm. like, there's something to it where like, you see yourself. And I think this is where the authenticity thing, authenticity thing has been such a, a bugbear in the past is it's difficult for us to want to be Klaus Mina if we feel like Klaus Mina is not authentic. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, it, yeah. and in this instance, it, you know, it sounds like she's pretty unabashed about saying like, you want to be me and I want to be you. Yeah. Like yep. we're, we, as you say, we are doing this for each other, which I think to do that in a way that is guileless. And again, I, I don't want to overstate this. I wasn't there, but to do that in a way that it's guileless is, is pretty unusual for stuff that I've been to in the past. Mm-hmm. It would be a little fruity for me to say, Oh, John, John Roderick is so dreamy. I wish I could sing car parts mm. or, you know, I guess Mick Jagger or whatever. But I think that's, that's such a big piece of this is like wanting to see ourselves up there and wanting to see see what it would be like to be that person so i don't mean to get all roll on barth but i mean like for her to be up there in the equivalent of like what somebody would wear in a hip-hop capri sun commercial with her (laughs) being that guy right Right, with her shirt with her own face on it well that's because that's that that could be you you want that to be you so when you go out and you wear that shirt you're doing the same thing that she did and it's it it's it's got a like a one-to-one um relationship I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but again, that's the kind of thing where like the last thing in a million years that you would say as a cool rock fan is like, um, man, I really want to be Michael Stipe. That would have not have been a very cool thing to say in 1984, probably, although I probably would have said it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? I mean? It sounds like those, you felt like the, at least from your perspective with your, uh, with your hat check jingle stick, that, that the, uh, those barriers were not there in a way they were 20 years ago for us. Well, I, and and uh, so much of it is is in the visual culture now. The 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 watching the 
watching the the this panoply of images unfold and realizing that that like we are living in a selfie culture now i was having a conversation with somebody on the phone the other day and uh realized that they had never taken a selfie because they were an old person <laughs> and i said you really need to you really need to get past the barrier here and i took a picture of myself and i was like see here's a selfie i'm just i'm driving in my car i'm taking a picture here's a picture of me what how do you feel about that and they were like i you know i'm I, it's really nice to see a picture of you i'm really like they they had a, a psychological barriers to taking a selfie that were all related to shame about self-aggrandizement Shame. It's, it's antithetical to pretty much everything I, I grew up with. You don't take your own picture. Right. Right. It's that's embar- really, that's a very weird thing to do that for a long time, not to beat this to death, but people who look like they wanted to be perceived as sex workers would do. For a long time, it used to be that that was just the domain of, of, of girls who took 45 pictures of themselves in the bathroom mirror until they got the one that they liked. And oh. now today, everybody, John Hodgman can't stop. Well, and, and he won't and, stop. And frank, <laughs> frankly, frankly, no one can stop now. Like it, it, we we have crossed the Rubicon, and selfies are uh, are a, a, a form of art. Selfies are part of our awareness of ourselves. And I mean, I knew people who would get a roll of film back from the drugstore. And, like, throw away the pictures of themselves just because even owning a picture of themselves taken by somebody else was too much vanity for them. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like asking for your own autograph. It, it doesn't, you need a second party for that to make sense. Yeah, right. And you, you, you take the pictures of you and you give them to other people because why would you want to look at a picture of yourself? But now the, the culture has, you know, completely embraced the idea that pictures of yourself that taking thousands of pictures of yourself is a like is a way of exploring your identity and and understanding your ego and and basking in it and what what's missing is the shame that we used to feel about it and so watching this Watching the show last night in this cascade of images and a lot of pictures of Miley Cyrus in her own show, including on her own T-shirt and including at the beginning when she literally slides out of her own mouth. <laughs> I still can't get I, over that image. And I don't. And I'm not sure when they were thinking of when they were thinking it up. It was like, yes, that's amazing. But they they obviously either they have an incredible. Either they have no on-staff theorist or they have an incredible on-staff theorist who's just like, yes, definitely slide down your own tongue. That is fucking great. You know, like somebody is, I, th- I feel like maybe her choreographer and her showrunner are both like uh, art PhDs or something. I mean, it really feels like there's that much. Uh, there's that much intention behind some of this stuff that's just like that couldn't be an accident but but this cascade of images is being received by an audience of people who are who are so much more comfortable with images of themselves and like 
I mean, one of the best bits in the in the Miley show was she's out of, out on the runway and she's just grabbing people's phones and like videotaping herself for a second and handing the phone back to them, <laughs> and which is kind of like an autograph. Right, and an amazing gift to give to somebody. Mm-hmm. If you're a Miley Cyrus fan enough that you are right up against the stage and she grabs your phone and touches it with her own hand and like makes a little personal video for you and hands it back, it's a, it's just like fan for life. But also, like, what is that? Like, I I do feel like every everyone in the audience is putting themselves in her shape because they all can make videos of themselves. Mm-hmm. They're making videos of themselves right now. And those videos are part of the, I mean, this is the, I guess this is what I walked away with. We always thought at the dawn of the internet that I, I think a lot of us could see that here was the potential for all of human knowledge to come to one central clearinghouse, we could compare and contrast finally. You didn't have to go get lost in the stacks with seven books open trying to figure out mm-hmm. like where the Quran and the Bible and the Bible. But, but all, the, all the existing stuff with our, with our mental model, right? Is that where you're going? The mental yeah. model of the library, like you don't get to go in and like scribble in a notebook and put it on the shelf. Right. We were going to, this was the, here was the internet and it was going to be this place where we finally had a consensus place. And if we had, and this is kind of the, this is the liberal mentality. Like if we just get all the information in one place, then the truth will be known. And once we have all the information and we have the truth, then we will be, then we will have achieved nirvana or, you know, then strife will disappear because the truth is available. And the only reason that we have war, the only reason that there is, you know, that there is so much anger in the world is that we, that we are confused. We don't know the truth. This person's angry. He doesn't see the other person's side, et cetera, et cetera. And the internet had this, this enormous possibility well, what what we're in now, I think, is this like post-internet, where yes, all the information is available. It's or or if you want to look for it, I mean, it's all here. And what it has created is not this like this intellectual underpinning or this uh, this consensus. In fact, the culture's gone the other direction, and and all things are equal and there is no consensus but what it has produced is this art culture where every single thing that's ever been made is cut up and pasted back together and there isn't a differentiation between like the like anime and tribal drumming and punk rock mhm None of the, those things all just sit, not just comfortably beside one another, but but as if they had always been together. And so, in a sense, it is the achievement of like the sum total of human knowledge all brought together. But it's happening in this mashup of music and image, rather than in this like uh, sort of bookish theoretical place and it's um 
and I, I guess I, I, it's not what I expected, but it's, mm-hmm. but it, it, it bodes, I guess it, I guess it bodes well. Like I'm excited to see what it produces. What, I mean, I'm excited to see what that means. Well, and what, it, and especially you're talking about your, your daughter, my daughter, you know, what it means for somebody who didn't grow up with this as a transitional thing or yeah. as a new thing for somebody who, um, uh, for, for whom, like somebody born today, for whom Miley Silas, Cyrus sliding out of her own mouth on her own tongue is, is something that's, uh, I mean, it's not like that's the craziest thing in the world. No, but, although you yeah. have to see it, really, to believe No, it. I just, no, I, it's really disturbing to me. If Mick, I mean, if Mick Jagger had done it at any point, it would, I mean, if he'd done it 25 years ago, we would, that image would be burned in our brain. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just, he was just in his sixties then. But I mean, if you think about this, like somebody from Western China comes, uh, comes into the, the world now and says like, I, I play the one string violin. It is our, it's the, our instrument, it's the instrument of my, uh, my people here in Western China. Uh, it's the, you know, it's, it's our, traditional instrument and i am the master one string violinist until very recently the the response to that would have been to give this guy a show at carnegie hall or or you know his record would be the new npr (laughs) kind of favorite or he would do a he would do a world tour like look what we found Look what what has been introduced to us. Right. Like he would have done something with Eddie Vedder or like when the monks came to Lollapalooza, it would have been some kind of like, you know, we're sponsoring this culture. Yeah. Look at this. But this, this new Miley Cyrus culture would just instantly assimilate that. They'd be like, oh, cool. One string violin guy. You know, like your, his one string violin sound would be automatically appropriated and like he would he he'd get up and do a song with miley cyrus but it wouldn't be like there would there wouldn't have that um the reverence that we used to accord that kind of like here he is now going to play his traditional music (laughs) instead it would just be like that's a cool sound Mm -hmm. that guy's cool looking and in a way that's more I mean, in a way, that just seems, that seems like true kind of globalism or like more in line with the idea that all of humanity is one, that we are all on one course together. And that, you know, that, I guess that's my takeaway from this show is like there, it, her message, if there is one, is that, I mean, one planet, one people almost. And and uh <laughs> <laughs> You should make some coffee, John. <laughs> 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 <laughs>